0: Well, good evening and welcome to the Marriage Reform Prayer Call. My name is Kim Moore, and I am so excited that you guys are here with us tonight. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, for showing up and lending your faith. And we're just going to pray right at the beginning as, as uh, we had some challenges this morning on another prayer call. Well, Father, we thank and we praise you. We just plead the blood of Jesus over this call, over the technology, over the airwaves, and anything that would attempt to interfere with your will going forward tonight in Jesus' name. We just thank you that you have dispatched angels, God, just to attend to this call and the airwaves, God. And we bless you and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, we appreciate you lending your faith and your love. There's a little background. Let me see if I can get that out. Okay. Uh, We appreciate you lending your faith and your love to this this particular call. We know that many of you are on other prayer calls as the prayers of the saints, the prayers of the people of God are being ramped up like at no other time. And so we don't take for granted that you are adding yourself to this call, to the assignment that God has given us. I'm not sure what the, the tweeting in the background is. I don't know if you can hear it. Um, uh, it is not on my end. I'm looking at the back office to see. I don't see where it is coming from, so we're just going to continue to press forward uh, with what God has us to do. Well, uh, we are partnering with God. We're declaring a divine makeover for marriages. We believe God's resetting husbands and wives and reinstituting all the rights, responsibilities, uh, and privileges of the of kingdom citizens, citizens that we can do his bidding on the earth. listen for first time callers, I wanted to share with you a little bit of the format. so in the beginning i 'll give some intro or some remarks. Uh, then we uh, pray, then I do some teaching on on a kingdom principle or concept or perspective that applies to husbands and wives, and then we pray the word that 's taught. So let me give you a few intro stuff. Um, Jumping for Joy, Jumping for Joy. As you know, we are uh, going to all 50 states and U.S. territories to declare kingdom marriage on the steps of the Capitol in each of those states. We were planning to go to uh, Tennessee in March. Tennessee had a tornado, and now we are in the coronavirus bubble, and so we are postponing that to late spring, early summer. Uh, however, we still are planning to be in DC, Merlin. Excuse me one moment. Let me just check this back office again. Okay, I hope you can hear me a little bit better uh, now. Oh, praise God. Lord, in Jesus' name, we just thank you for your authority, God. We just thank you for your peace right now, God. In Jesus' name. Wow. Well, if you're in the D.C., Maryland, or Virginia areas, April 23rd through the 25th, um, please email me and let me know at kim at moronrelationships.com so that we can get you involved. We have some folks on this call regularly that are coordinating that effort, and I would love to be able to get your name to them, that we can all show up together as we declare God's word. And when we do that, what we're doing is giving God train tracks to run on in those states so that Kingdom marriage will manifest and will create a space so that God can manifest kingdom marriage and kingdom-minded husbands and wives and create opportunities that his word can go forth. And as you know, everything begins with prayer. So that's what we're doing. But before I begin with with tonight and what we're talking about, we've been talking about conflict, and I want to continue with that. But before I do, uh, let me just say many believe the nation is in a divine reset. And I believe this, too. Uh, I believe the church is also in a divine reset, and especially in the area of marriage and family. You've heard me, uh, if you've been on the call, you've heard me refer to this as a divine makeover in marriage that's taking place. A shift is occurring. See, We have to understand that marriage is the smallest, albeit the strongest, most viable unity of units, more than one person in a family, in churches communities and even in our nation and the when the smallest unit is broken, it results in broken families, churches, communities, and our nation. And so I believe that God is intervening, that a sound from heaven has gone out, that the blessing of God has gone out, that the revelation of God has gone out in the area of marriage, and we call it kingdom marriage. We also believe, I also believe that COVID-19 has aided in this reset, um, and though I believe it's, it's the work of an enemy, it nonetheless has resulted in our lives being significantly disrupted. Uh, many of us have limited access to necessary but non-essential businesses. Our children are out of school and at home. Incomes are affected, and we're, many of us are practicing social distancing, and husbands and wives are more confined to their homes. And so we're living in this what, what's like a bubble, and, and and so there are a lot of reasons to experience stress and fear, and and all of those things are happening in a much smaller space and much, uh, uh in much more closer proximity uh, than perhaps husband and wives are used to uh, carrying out the routines of daily living. You know, just today I read of a friend of a friend that has lost his job and that you know has used the occasion for the company to go into a different direction. And, you know, this could happen to other people as well. And then there are those that are contending with the symptoms of the virus, or who may have, you know, elderly parents. My parents are elderly, and so, yes, there is a, you know, I'm, I'm concerned that they stay healthy and well. Listen, it's not only likely, but it's highly probable, probable that as a result of all that's taking place in our nation, that husbands and wives will experience a heightened conflict in their marriage relationship. And so what I would say to that is that uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, we have prayed, we declare it defeated and dethroned, and I would say this, that it's not responsible for the marital conflict. Let me say it again. COVID-19 is not causing additional marriage conflict. It's not causing the marital conflict. It's just the latest technology being used to trigger old, unresolved conflict in marriages. And the reason it's going to be easy, and it will be easy for husbands and wives to attribute uh, marital conflict, particularly in this bubble, to the coronavirus is because it may seem more intense. And the stakes get higher each time we refuse God's request for something we have. Remember, we said last week that God's uh, conflict is God's request for something we have so that he can release more of himself, more of his authority, and more of his power in our lives. And when we refuse to give God what he wants as Christians, as people who have been bought with a price, and now our life is not our own, when we refuse to give the manufacturer uh, or something that he has recalled and we have refused to give it back, the request doesn't change The triggers may change. The technology that brings this conflict to the surface may change. But the request doesn't change. But with each new trigger, the cost of complying, of not complying, just gets higher. So it seems like it's all related to this moment when it really is not related to this moment. And for me, that... uh, adds greatly to my peace because um, although it may seem like an emergency in some cases, it's just a building up of what not has, has not been dealt with. God says that the work he began in us, he would continue to perform it until the day he, has, until the day he returns. And so this conflict in most cases is not new. So when, when things happen, we don't necessarily have to be alarmed or get all bent out of shape. We just need to understand what was the request, what is the request that God is making and help husbands and wives to uh, see it, identify it, and just encourage them to answer the mail, to answer the request. Listen, conflict can destroy it. Undo, it undo It can undo and destroy the well-being of husbands and wives. Marital conflict, it results in adultery. abandonment, verbal, emotional, physical abuse, separation, divorce, and in extreme cases, it has resulted in death. So this is pretty serious stuff we're talking about, but we need to be able to approach it with calm, composure, the word of God, and with the authority of God. And so as we're preparing and providing for children being out of school, I know Amy's a PT and uh, she was showing me today uh, just uh, pictures of activities and things that and links that she was sharing with her families for activities for the children to be able to do in the home. You know, the schools are dispensing food. We're helping children. But somehow the husbands and wives always seem to get lost in this equation. And so maybe not tonight, but I would be interested in brainstorming with a few of you how we can support husbands and wives given the bubble that we're in. And so we'll talk with that. uh, Perhaps, uh, Amy, if you remind me at the end of the call how we can brainstorm, how we can help husbands and wives through this process, understanding that God always speaks and acts from a kingdom perspective. And so we want to bring the kingdom to bear on these temporary circumstances that husbands and wives are confronted with. Well, before we start talking about conflict tonight, it sounds like a the whole message in itself already, but let's just pray. Father, wonderful counselor, who is Jesus Christ, we present ourselves to you tonight, and we come to you, Lord, for not only ourselves, but on behalf of, behalf of every husband and wife, those that are near you, and with you and those that are yet afar off, who you have already known and marked them for salvation, God. Lord, we seek the wisdom that comes from you, that comes from above, that's easy to receive, peaceful, and produces right alignment with your word. We thank you, Father God. Our desire is to be positioned and repositioned in perfect alignment with you in Jesus' name. We ask, Lord, that you grant us seeing eyes, hearing ears, and a heart that grasps and understands what you were saying to us tonight. Give us the grace to yield to the truth you offer us. You said that your sheep hear your voice. We are your sheep. Help us to hear your voice in what is said and prayed tonight that we might not follow another. Lord, in Jesus' name, we ask you these things and believe that we have received them because we've asked according to your word. Now, guys, as I routinely say, whatever I say tonight, hereafter, or whatever anyone is saying, there is a multitude of words flooding the airwaves right now, and and as they do, and, 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 and biblical words and prophetic words and and just encouraging words. But there's all kinds of words that are being sent forth. Um, And as I say of myself, I say that our attitude should be with all, or I would encourage your attitude to be with all, and that's this. Whatever you hear, whether from my mouth or another, no matter how many scriptures are offered you, take it and go back to God and inquire of him for yourself concerning what you hear. Don't just take my word for, don't take others' word for. You have a relationship with God. You have a responsibility to work with him to rightly divide the word of God. And so I just encourage you that in this time when the airwaves are flooded with information, I mean, there's so much information coming at us, we have to make decisions before we have the whole of it. And so I just encourage you, as with this word and as with any word, go back. God always confirms his word. And so I pray that he would confirm this word and that any part of it that doesn't reflect his throne or his heart, or his word would roll off you like water rolls off a wet duck's back. My desire is that you see him, that you know him, that you hear him, and that you respond to him in your life. Well, let's get started. Well, this past Sunday, I was talking with one of my pastors after service, uh, and and Matt was saying this. He said, "You know." We were talking about marriage a little bit and just some other things. He said, you know, when we get irritated with our spouse, it's usually because we are irritated with God about something. And I said, wow, that's real interesting, and I tend to agree with that. And I have gone as far as to say, as, as I say all the time, conflict is God's request for something we have so that God can share more of himself with you, more of his authority, more of his power, more of his goodness, more of his blessings with you and I. And so the fact, so when Matt was saying that oftentimes when we become irritated or find ourselves in conflict with our spouse, it's typically because there's something that we have desired from God or not desired from God that in either case just not has not happened the way we have wanted it to happen. And conflict with God gets played out in human relationships. It gets played out. We're the forum. We're the gymnasium. Uh, our marriages and our relationships are the forum, the, the place, the stage, if you will, the arena where our personal conflicts and irritations with God, get played out so that we can see them so we can learn how to respond to God differently. For if we can't respond appropriately to him who we can see, how can we respond appropriately to who we can't see? And so marital conflict is one way that God allows us to see, for those that are willing, what is going on inside of them in their relationship to God. I've also said that the frequency intensity of marital conflict equals a degree to which one or both are unwilling to give God what He requests. You know, I wrote a book, and the title of the book is Your Spouse Is Not Your Problem. You know, conflict and opportunities are opportunities, are opportunities, I guess, is to explore where we're with that, where where we are with uh, at odds with God and to adjust our thinking to come into alignment. So conflict is an opportunity to see where we're at odds with God or where God wants to establish something in our life and adjust, in some cases, reinforce our thinking to come into alignment or to stay in alignment with God. Remember, we have to remember that God is raising kingdom sons that he can use to influence the rule of the earth. And that means each one must know and be thoroughly exercised in the insights, responsibilities of kingdom citizens. Now, Satan uses conflict to try to steal our body, kill our soul, and destroy our spirit. I read to you last week. Remember last week we did the three questions, and I'm I'm going to talk to you tonight about question number two. Um, But Satan uses conflict to try to steal our body, kill our soul, and destroy our spirit. John 10.10 10 says, the thief has come, but to steal, kill, and destroy, I have come, that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. So in order to steal our body, he uses the lust of the flesh. To steal our soul, he uses our eyes. To, to kill our soul, he uses our eyes. And to hijack our worship, he uses pride to destroy our spirit. It's in John first uh, John two sixteen it reads for all the world can offer us is gratification of the flesh, the allurement of the things of the world, the things we see, um, the, the obsession of status and importance and pride. None of these things come from the father, but from the world. So you see conflict it's Satan uses conflict, you know, both God and Satan, uh, can use conflict and Satan uses it to steal our bodies, kill our soul, and destroy our spirit. Conflict is essential in, in establishing it reveals and establishes three things. And that's that's why if we understand the questions, then we get a good idea of what God is asking for from us. Then we get good idea a good idea how to answer Him. So here are the three 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 questions or the three things it attempts to establish. Who you belong to, who you are, and who you worship, and it's interesting that conflict always involves our mouth. I've, I've never, you know, even when we're silent, you know, I hear husbands argue, well, we don't argue, we don't, we don't argue. Listen, it is impossible for a husband and wife not to argue because. The Bible says it's necessary that offenses come so that we can see or that we can distinguish what is of God as what is not. In order not to argue, for a couple, to, in order for a couple not to argue, that is also telling me that each one has reached perfection. And we know that as long as we are in this body, we are being sanctified and conformed to the Word and the will of God. So couples who don't verbally argue. Listen, there are times when I was married that, you know, my, my ex-husband and I, we weren't shouters. We were quiet. But your kids can tell when you are at odds even when you are not verbally arguing. You can feel it. There's a tension. They're connected to you. And so um, in every marriage there is a potential, uh, there is conflict, and how we respond to it makes all of the difference. But generally, conflict involves our mouth. Someone said something. And why? Because it's with our words that things get revealed and established. Remember, words are spiritual, and they produce life or death. So it's no wonder when we argue or we're in conflict that words are are necessarily a part of that, whether they're spoken out loud, whether they're spoken in our minds and not said at all. They're still present in so much as the thought is present with us. For the Bible says, as we think, as a man thinketh, so is he. So whether we argue verbally or silently, the thoughts, the contribution of your thoughts are still in the room. So marital conflict asks husbands and wives to use their mouth to answer one of three questions. To whom do you belong, who are you, and who who will you worship? These questions are found in Matthew 4, 1 through 11 and Luke 4, 1 through 13. And as I remind you that God always speaks and acts from a kingdom perspective. The kingdom is eternal. Our problems, are most of our problems are temporary. God speaks to our problems from the eternal. We need an eternal mindset to understand the word of God, and to resolve conflict once and for all. So last week we talked about the first question. And just a, a quick review for those that are on the first the first time on the call, you can go back and hear the whole call on Spotify or wherever you hear your podcast. All you need to do is put in the search bar, put Marriage Reform with Kim Moore and the podcast or the, these uh These will come up, and you can just, I think last week was uh, reference 90. But in last week we talked about uh, Jesus in Matthew 2 2 through 4 and Luke 4, 1 through 4. Jesus is asked who he belonged to. It's a question about acceptance, who he was attached to, who did he identify with, uh, who was he identifying with, who was he connected to. Well, we know who he was connected to. We know who he belonged to because in Matthew 3.17, he was baptized. After he was baptized, the Spirit of God establishes the connection, the acceptance, and the affirmation of Jesus Christ as being the Son of God. It says, then suddenly a voice of the Father shouted from the sky saying, this is the Son I love and my greatest delight is in him. Satan, in the last week, Satan used Jesus' desire to gratify his flesh after he had fasted 40 days by challenging him to, to turn stones to bread. Jesus' response proved, is that revealed, proved, and established who he belonged to, who he identified with, who he was accepted by, or where he received his acceptance to, uh, and where he received his affirmation. That was the Father. And so he simply said, man shall not live by bread alone by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He also said that if I asked for my father bread, he would not present it to me in the form of a stone. God does not play with your needs. He's not. He does not trick you and ask you to do tumble salts and cartwheels to get your needs met. In fact, your needs were already supplied before you asked. So really, if we're seeking first the kingdom of heaven and God's right kingdom of God and his righteousness, the Bible says all these other things will be added to us. So the proper response is one of thank you and not a request in terms of our needs because they've already been supplied. So we need to thank him and go on about our day. But, look, Satan used natural, legitimate needs to provoke Jesus to change his affiliation with God. He wanted Jesus to rely on himself to meet his needs rather than trust the connection he had with God. In marital conflict, husbands and wives have the opportunity to reveal who they identify with, who they are ultimately connected to, that is God, and receive acceptance and affirmation from him, that is from God as they trust him to meet his natural needs. Psalms 118.9 says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humanity. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust nobles. It does beg this question, though. Kim, are you saying that husbands and wives shouldn't trust each other? Here's my answer. To the extent that a husband or wife is trustworthy, yes, absolutely, you should trust them. But if you, here's an analogy, if you sit, this just came to mind, if you sit on a chair and every time you sit on the chair, it breaks or falls, at what point do you learn that the chair is not able to hold your weight or answer your request or deliver what you're asking? At some point, you will have to conclude, while you may love the chair, May you even want the chair to be repaired. At present, the the chair is untrustworthy and unreliable, and in that case, the answer is no. You don't keep putting your weight. You don't keep putting your trust in something that is untrustworthy. God doesn't. Why should we? So, okay, now that brings us to this week, and, man, it's already 926. Oh, Amy's going to be so Bear with me, if you have to jump off, jump off, but I am going to finish this uh, question number two because I, I really believe it is important and needful as we are in this bubble uh, of coronavirus, this dethroned and defeated virus. And yet we're still in the bubble. We're still in the in, in the aftermath. See, if you believe it's defeated, then we're in the aftermath of it, even though the world says we're in it. We're in the aftermath, and these are the implications of the aftermath. And so we need to be able to answer this question correctly in marriage and in our life to deal with the aftermath. And the question is this, who are you? It's a question about significance. Where do you obtain your significance? And so to understand the conflict that presents itself in marriage, you've got to understand significance. You've got to understand that each one of us was created on purpose, with a purpose, and that makes us unique from anybody else. And there is so much written on purpose, the purpose-driven life. The, you know, we have talked about purpose, 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 and that everyone should know their purpose. And so each of us have a divine purpose. And that purpose does not change because you say, I do. Each one of us has a book of destiny, a divine destiny that was written before we were placed in our mother's womb. And before the Lord brought us to the birth, we had a book in the archives of heaven with a destiny with our name on it. And that does not change after you say, I do. And so we must be fully acquainted with our individual destinies if we're going to walk together with each other in marriage to the glory of God. Listen, even even um, though two people might share the same purpose, how they express it is different. God the Father and Jesus shared uh, the purpose and the destiny and the desire to redeem mankind but what it looked like, how they expressed it was different. And so even though you were married and you share the same purpose, your expression, your distribution, distributing that purpose is going to be necessarily different from your spouse. There's no one like you. Identical twins who are identical in every way have different fingerprints. Each each one of you, every husband and wife, each one is a God-intended, unrepeatable miracle, and that's what makes each of us significant, our purpose and that we are unrepeatable. We might be able to replace the task, but we can't replace who the person is or what they brought to our lives and our relationships. So, Significance has to do with the reason and meaning for your existence. It's built in, and it sets us apart from each other. And because it's built in, because it's been imprinted on us, we have a God-given need and desire to express that significance in our personal lives and in relationship, beginning with marriage. The picture comes to me of the imprinting of ducks. You ever wonder how you ever see a a mother duck going across the lake? And the the baby duck, sometimes I've seen, you know, 10, 12, 15 of them, just in in alignment with, with where the mother is going. It's called imprinting. And so we've been imprinted with a unique purpose, with a unique meaning. And because we've been imprinted, it is in us to carry it out. And when we can't carry it out, when we're frustrated or hindered from carrying it out, it will cause problems. When we um, substitute that meaning or that purpose, um, uh, uh, when we substitute it with something that uh, God did not attend. It will bring us into conflict. Wow! So your purpose, your significance—it's—it's—it's it's, it's kingdom, and it is eternal part of your makeup. Significance implies that you and I, husband and wives, have the ability. We must be able to act as free, independent agents from one another. In relationship to God and each other Jesus makes that very clear I read it all the time John 10 18 said no one takes my life I lay it down only to take it up again this commandment I received from my father so every husband and wife has the responsibility to take ownership for their thoughts their feelings and their actions It's part of what makes you you and me me. So now let's read Matthew 4, 5 through 7 and begin to look at this second question now that we understand significance. This um, temptation is also repeated in Luke 4, 9 through 12. So in Matthew, we'll stay with Matthew since that's what I read last week. But in Matthew 4, 5 through 7, it reads this way. Then the devil took him, that is Jesus, into the holy city and placed him on, I'm sorry, yeah, this is the amplified version. Then the devil took him into the holy city and placed him on a a turret, pinnacle, or a gable of the temple sanctuary. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written he will give his angels charge over you. And they will bear you up on their hands, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, oh, on the other hand, it is written also, you shall not tempt, test thoroughly, or try exceedingly, the Lord thy God, the Lord your God. So here's what we know. Verse 5. In Jesus' mind. Remember, temptation is about your thoughts and your desires. So this was happening in Jesus' mind. So in Jesus' mind. He was at the, on the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem, the holy city. It doesn't say whether he was sitting or standing. We just know he was there at the highest point in his mind. It would be like you or I being perched on the top of a steeple of, of a more traditional church, the highest point of the church building. He, whether he was sitting or standing, he was higher up than every uh, other human being. Everyone was beneath him. Um, Because the people go into the building, and he was sitting on top of the building at the highest point. So his location was significant. His height was significant. He was above all other people that would enter the sanctuary. The building, the auditorium, the pulpit, that he was above others was significant. His position was significant. And here's what we know from verse 6. The devil asked Jesus to prove who he is by jumping off the roof. Remember, the real question that the devil is asking in all of this and asking husbands and wives who are in conflict is, who are you? I know you belong to God. I know you say you're a Christian, but who are you? Who are you choosing to be right now? It's, it reminds me of the scripture. I think it was Peter and Paul, I know, but who are you? It's like I know you're with them, but who are you? I know you belong and you're connected with them, But who are you? This is the scripture that says that no one takes my life. I lay it down only to take it up again. Who are you showing up as? Who are you choosing to be? Using the scripture, the devil asked Jesus to provoke God in order to prove that, uh, in order to prove his significance as the Son of God. We already know he's the Son of God. Now he's being asked to pers- prove his significance as the Son of God. The script- And here's where Satan got the scripture from. Psalms ninety-one, eleven, and 12 says this, For he shall give his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. They shall bear you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against the stone. So Satan didn't make this up. He went right to Psalm 91, 11, and 12 and presented Jesus' scripture. That's why it's so important that you and I understand and know the word of God for ourselves. That's why it's so important. When I encourage you, go back. Check out what I'm saying in the word. Ask the Lord to confirm his words that are spoken. Why? Because the devil will use scripture. Christians will use scripture and misuse scripture and out of context to uh, to get the things that they desire but it's interesting the devil completely and conveniently left out the stipulations for God giving his angels charge over over Jesus and over us and bearing them up in their hands lest we experience hurt harm or danger the stipulations are in 9 and 10 And it reads this way, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling, there shall be no evil befall you, nor shall any plague come near your tent. For he shall give his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. They shall bear you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So the condition was that we make God our dwelling place. The condition was that we uh, honor our commitment, our connection, our attachment, our abiding in God. And when we do, then he says, no evil will befall you, no plague shall come near your tent, and he'll give his angels charge and dispatch them on our behalf. So Jesus, unlike Jesus, knowing part of Part, the part of the word that the devil just conveniently omitted, as well as knowing his significance, was it, was tied to his relationship with God and was tied to his purpose, not his position or his place among men and women, responds to the internal conflict going on in himself. And remember this, that James 1, 13 and 14, we read it last week, that you're tempted when we're tempted, don't ever say, God is tempting me for God is incapable of being tempted by evil and he is never the source of temptation instead it is each one it's each person's own desires and thoughts that drag them into evil and lure them into darkness so temptation is not a sin it is our desires and our thoughts that bring us into conflict or into temptation and how we respond is either sinful or righteous, or from a place of being rightly aligned and connected with God. Jesus was tempted because his human desire and thoughts about significance drew him into conflict. And so Jesus' answer cut the circuit of temptation. The circuit of temptation in John 1, 13 and 14 is this. Desires expressed as thoughts or thoughts and desires, temptation, engagement, sin, and death. Well, Jesus cut the circuit at the place of temptation. He was contemplating his significance. Nothing wrong with doing that. But unlike us, Jesus contemplated his significance in relationship to his Father and not who he was independent of his Father. So that's the circuit, whether it's Jesus, you or me, husband or wife, um, we have to break the circuit at the place of temptation or before with our thoughts and desires. So here's what he said to break the circuit. It is also written, this is verse 7, it is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. And like Jesus, each one of us. Each one's significance is tied to our God-given purpose. The reason and meaning for each one of us is created, male or female, husband or wife, regardless, is and relates to the God who created us. The desire for significance, each one of us, just like each one of us desires to be accepted, which was the first temptation, was about acceptance and who we belong to, each one of us has a desire for significance. And it's not wrong, it's not bad, and it's not evil. It has been imprinted on us. Um, And it's necessary to propel us into destiny. It's the wind of our spirit. It drives us. It creates the passion and fire inside of us. And some husbands and wives, quite frankly, have lost their passion because they, they, they either incorrectly identify something as significant or they have not embraced their uniqueness and significance in relationship to God. They haven't embraced their identity in Christ, and therefore when we don't embrace our identity in Christ, we can't embrace the significance that is attached to it for our lives. So sometimes, and I'm I'm bringing it home here, sometimes marital conflict arises out of our desire for significance. Who are we? but also from the wrong ways we try to get significance, to get noticed, to get whatever we think will result in us for feeling significant. Satan wanted Jesus to jump off the roof to experience the significance of God intervening with angels. And Jesus said, no, nope, don't have to prove that I'm already significant with God and my significance is re- related to what I was brought to earth to do. So that we, you and I, have engaged in wrong things and wrong ways to feel significant, uh, it has to be addressed. And the place it gets addressed is marital conflict because that desire, those thoughts, and need for significance is what brings us, uh, brings us into conflict, particularly the wrong one. Um, you and I have adopted and employed many ways Uh, and substituted ways to feel significant in life, in marriage, and in relationship. And so we need to understand two things. We need to understand why, what is our purpose, why God made us significant, and we also need to understand the wrong ways in which we have tried to gain significance for ourselves from others. And these will bring us into conflict. And these are the questions. And here is the question for husbands and wives in conflict What are you attaching your significance to? Here's some examples. Let, well, let's just start with Jesus. He contended in, in Matthew 4 through 7. Um, Satan was att- trying to get Jesus to attach his significance to his position. Um, as the to his position as the redeemer of, of of mankind to his work um to his 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 place in the earth um and and you and I think about it what are we what have we attached our significance to well some of us have attached it to our position uh at, at work in the community or in church, some of us attach it to our work some of us attach it to um our place above others that we're in charge or being in charge or we're over. Um, Others, some of us uh, attach our significance to our intellect, others to finances and financial security. Uh, We attach significance to being right or being in control. Some people attach significance to their appearance. I mean, it's not that these things are necessarily wrong in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with being in charge of people. God places us in charge of people all the time. Uh, and and yet at the same time it is when we depend and when we um, make this the primary mode from which we are de- uh, deriving or drawing our significance. These things, I guess, they're important. Um, But when they begin to drive your behavior, when they begin to drive how you interact with others, when these things begin to be used about how you evaluate others, it will inevitably result in conflict with your spouse and with others because these are false forms of significance, and all of us are guilty of having false forms, false platforms, false things of significance that drive our li- that that drive our actions and govern our behavior. Um, and the reason they're a problem and they show up in conflict because none of these things represent purpose in and of themselves. You say that again <laughs> none of these things in and of themselves are the whole or the full or represent purpose. Your position is so that you can execute purpose. Your work is the medium through which you express your purpose. It is not your purpose. It is through which God wants you to express his kingdom. You know, you're you're being in charge of others. is not your purpose. I say all the time, marriage is a relationship of equals that uses hierarchy to accomplish together what neither one could accomplish on their own. So these things may accompany your purpose, but they're not your purpose. It's like a glove and hand. The glove is not your hand, but the hand may use the glove to uh, in cold weather, um, the, the problem is when the glove thinks it's more than a glove, when the glove thinks it's more than just an aid to the hand. God doesn't give us money so that we can draw our significance and sense of importance by how much money we have. If money isn't serving the kingdom, if it's not available to God, if it does not make you more available to God, if it does not make you more generous to serve the kingdom purpose, it will eventually bring you into conflict, giving you the opportunity to adjust your thinking. Why? Because conflict is God's request for something you have so that he can release more of his authority and more of his power in your life. And in order to do that, you and I will constantly have to adjust our thinking, and conflict is one of the places we can learn to adjust our thinking. Listen, God doesn't give us intellect so that we can feel superior and significant to us. We can feel significant through our superiority uh, to others, or reason our way through life. Um, you know, when we do, it will too bring us into conflict with our spouse so that we have the opportunity to adjust our thinking. Your intellect is given to you to be used to make available to God so that he can express his kingdom, his wisdom from on high through you. Listen, there's the wisdom of the world and there's the wisdom of God. The Bible says the wisdom of the world is selfish it's, it's demonic, it's selfish, and self-serving. So if your intellect is self-serving, selfish, and does not work, peace, the Bible says that the wisdom from above is peaceful, easy to receive, and produces righteousness or right standing or the opportunity for right standing with God. And so we can distinguish what is your intellect producing? And so, again, it will bring us into conflict if it is not producing after the kingdom because we are kingdom citizens and have a responsibility, our lives not being our own, to produce the kingdom and reflect the kingdom on earth, to allow God to produce the kingdom through us. Listen, God doesn't make us right so we can be self-righteous and feel significant. When we're self-righteous, we will inevitably come into conflict with our spouse so that we'll have the opportunity to adjust our thinking. And God doesn't make us or give us charge over other, put us over other people so that we can feel superior to people. When we do, we will inevitably experience conflict in marriage and with others so that we'll have the opportunity to adjust our thinking. If work is your primary source of significance, it will inevitably cause problems in marriage, family, and other relationships. When work or ministry becomes our primary source of significance, the primary we feel good about ourselves when we are working and going down our to-do list, and I'm speaking to myself right here, guys. Pray for me. then work will become an idol we serve. See, whatever we attach significance to will eventually become an idol and will affect our worship. And as a result, conflict will eventually come because as bought possessions, our life is not our own. And now when we set up an idol, we make ourselves in conflict with God. So sometimes we can't blame it when stuff happens at work and in our ministries and different things in our lives, we just can't always blame it on the devil attacking us, attacking our work or attacking our ministry or even us personally. We have to do the work, God. What are you asking me for that I am not giving to you? I recognize this 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 conflict is between me and you, and you are you are giving me the grace. You're giving me the kindness of allowing it to show up in my marriage so I can see it clearly. Significance obtained and sustained by any other or or anything or anyone else other than God inevitably brings us into conflict in marriage relationships. God is about manifesting his kingdom in the lordship of Jesus Christ on earth through your life, through my life as kingdom citizens, through the lives of husbands and wives, um, and it, 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 he just wants him. He wants us to be available. So, like Jesus, we got to learn how not to provoke God. I, I tell you, in preparing for this, I had a whole other thing that I was writing about, and, and God just politely told me, "Oh no, that's for you, and you just need to deal with that." And you know, I was just severely chastised by the Lord for trying His patience in some areas. And I really don't have time to explain that uh, further, but if you want to know what I was convicted of and where it is, it's in Exodus 17, 1-7 and Psalm 95, 9-11. But when tempted to place significance in his height and stature and position among men, Jesus said, it is written, do not put your Lord to the test. In other words, do not misuse your position do not misuse your money, intellect, authority, and thereby challenge God. So as I wrap up, the first question in conflict posed to us is about acceptance. It asks, who do you belong to? This question challenges you and I to gratify our flesh, turning stones to bread. And we do that any number of ways. Again, you can listen to the to the uh, last, last week and, and pick up. Uh, more details. And then tonight we address the second question conflict raises. It's about significance. It's about autonomy. It's about uh, who we are apart uh, from everybody else. Um, It's a question of significance. It's It's a question about how you're using your autonomy as a free and independent agent. So let's pray. Father, we repent tonight. We repent for ourselves and all husbands and wives. We repent, Father God, because we've obtained and sustained our significance in things other than you, your word, and the purpose for which we have been created. We have placed trust in money, financial security. We have relied on our work, uh, intellect, positions, our educational credentials, being first, being right, being in charge, our looks, our possessions, God. We have placed trust. Lord, undo inordinate significance upon these things, God. And, Lord, we agree with the accuser of the brethren tonight who has used these things to undermine our authority and power in the kingdom of God and in the earth. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for conflict. We thank you, Father God, for allowing it to show up in marriage, in our important relationships, God, to show us and to reveal to us what we have placed significance in and to give us the opportunity to repent for thinking these things are as important to you as they have been to us. Forgive us, God, for assuming we can perform your will our way through our own strength and through our own self ascribed significance. We recognize that the frequency and intensity of conflict in our marriage and in the marriages equals the degree that we have refused to give you what you want. We now recognize that conflict we experience is your request for something we have so that you can share more of yourself with us that you can share more of your authority and more of your power, God, and more of your influence, and, Lord, that we might grow in favor with you and with men and with husbands and wives, with each other. We also realize, God, that our best human efforts, and, and, and just all of our thinking, God, about our own significance, God, and how we obtain it, will continue to fail to produce marital fulfillment you desire for us. Lord, that our irritations and our best efforts, God, won't bring us into the land of good and plenty in our marriages, emotionally, mentally, physically, or sexually. You value broken and contrite hearts that are available to perform your will. And so tonight we offer you broken, contrite hearts, newly available to hear and perform your will. We ask for your grace to yield to you when you make these requests of us and when we're faced with temptation. We ask you to have mercy upon us as we desire to mature as kingdom citizens who can execute your will on earth. Fill us with the kind of love that makes it easy to believe you and obey you from this moment forward. God and judge of all human hearts, we lay ourselves bare before you tonight. Now release your mighty angels to restrain the enemies of your word and the enemy of the words that have been spoken here tonight. I pray there be no backlash upon these that hear and receive your word. I release the love that makes them bold and inspires them to exercise their faith in obedience to your word. Bless them, God, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Wow, that was a lot. Uh, I Thank you so much for just staying with us and allowing me to just, Express, expel my purpose. (laughs) God has got a sense of humor. Thank you for allowing me uh, to express what is related to my purpose here as you uh, have been present and lent your faith to this particular effort. Well, we'll be doing a Facebook Live tomorrow at 1, and I'm going to be trying something new. And and I tell you what guys, you guys have been such a blessing to me to support these different little um as I as I work and 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 just try to get this message to more people. On Saturday I'm going to be doing a Zoom and I'm putting it out to you guys first um because it, it it'll be a uh, I don't want to say a dry run because the word is true. And and so while I'm dry running the technology, I'm not dry running the word. But on Saturday, we're going to do a Zoom at 11 a.m., and that's where we'll be able to see each other. You'll be able to interact, and and we'll ask some questions. And we're just going to limit it to about 30 minutes, and uh, I'll uh, repeat some of the things I said here, um, just emphasize some things. You can ask questions. If you want to be a part of that, you will need to email me at Kim at more. my last name, M-O-O-R-E, on Relationships.com. And even if you've emailed me before, you'll need to email me again, as I will take the emails I receive now uh, through Saturday morning up until about 8 a.m., so that I can get you the URL so that you can tune in. And so I want to make this available to you first before we go public with it. And so if you're interested in being part of that dry run of technology, um, then, uh, again, email me. Put in the subject line Zoom. Zoom. That's all you need to do. And then I will make sure you are part of the list. That gets that URL. We'll be able to see each other face-to-face. You'll be able to interact with me. I will take your questions and we'll just see what God does with that. And so as I step out, if you want to step out with me, send me your email. Put Zoom in the subject line. If you want to hear last week's message or any of these messages, go to Spotify or iTunes or whatever podcast format you use. And in the search bar, enter marriage reform with Kim Moore. And tonight's reference number is 91. 91. If you would like to use the phone, you can use the replay number, which is 605-475-4980. And the access code is three four one pounds and the reference code is 91-pound. Well, again, thank you so much for joining me tonight. As always, you can leave comments on my Facebook page, Kim Moore, or Kim Moore Ministries. Share this. Tell somebody about it. Let's get the Word of God, the kingdom of God, into the minds and hearts of God's people that they might receive it, grow, and change their, their homes, their communities, their churches, and together, this nation, in Jesus' name. God bless you. Good night.